pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. You know, I think that it's been a while since we lived together, Keith, and Jersey City will always hold a place in our hearts, right? 100%. We lived there for three years, and yeah, it was such a great place when you're just starting out, I think, and I think we'll always go back there and feel nostalgic about that place. You know, you got to have ties to your roots, I think, and that, I think, is what makes the show we're discussing today very interesting, the Drew Carey Show, because... It's it takes place in Cleveland and it really reminds you of that when you're watching the show, but it's in a way that's endearing, and so it's, it's the whole show almost is like Drew Carey's love letter to the city of Cleveland. So it's I, I always got a kick out of that. He's kind of advocating for his hometown in the show. Moon over Parma, bring my love to me tonight. Guide her to Cleveland underneath your silvery light. We're going bowling. So don't lose her in soul and moon over Parma tonight. It adds a level of authenticity to it that I, uh, that it's definitely one of the show's big strengths, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know, like the location of a show is really interesting to me, uh, how much it plays into the premise uh, of a sitcom or drama, you know, the, the premise of the show, the personality of the show and sometimes the city itself can be a whole character if you think about it 100 percent uh i think that not every show or sitcom i don't think utilizes or needs to but uh i think that you that's always a plus especially like you know we some new york shows make new york a character way better than others i would say even the ones that we've talked about i would say the only one that uh really uh, makes New York a character would be Seinfeld, but they don't even do that until they're Seinfeld. But uh, that's what, at least what the Drew Carey show has going for him right from the gate. Yeah, it's, it's a very unique location too. There's not a ton of other shows that take place in Cleveland. I think later on there was a show called, uh, was it Hot for Cleveland or something like that? Uh, it was like a TV land show. But for the most part, you know, this 90s genre or this time period, the majority of shows take place in New York City, which, you know, that New York City lends itself, right, to meeting all sorts of different characters, and it's it just is a go-to. It has the most iconic architecture, right, and people know immediately what that setting is like. Cleveland, you know, maybe not so much. Not everyone really knows what Cleveland is like, uh, but if you watch this show, you might get a sense that it's um, a charming, smaller-scale city with some down-to-earth people. It's a very middle American show, and I'm not saying I get tired of New York. It, it, it's, it's something different. It's something different, and I think uh, like uh, like Mary Tyler Moore, I think, was uh, like St. Louis at the time, and yeah. I think it's just nice to utilize stuff like a middle American show, uh, and yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And you get a sense of that in this episode, too. I think we're going to feel like we're in this sort of 
you know, industrial type setting, you know, very, you know, so with, with a lot of the characters, either the main characters or maybe like just the background extras, very blue collar, rust belt sort of setting. But in a way, that's very charming. I think, you know, um, the other show I think sort of has that feel. Let me double check on this. Um, one that we'll save for another time. Roseanne, I think, had a similar feel of just like working yes. class people who are just, you know, trying to make their lives work, but yeah. in, a, in a setting that a lot of people can relate to. Oh, yes, so that, one, that one took place in Illinois. So also a Midwest locale. So, yeah, the Midwest is uh, just has like very friendly down to earth people, like I mentioned. And, here, and but uh, the Drew Carey show, at least they also have um, have some quirks as well. I've only been to Cleveland. Have you ever been to Cleveland? I have not been to Cleveland. I don't know if the show is making me want to buy a ticket anytime soon, but you know, it's uh, yeah, one day I guess I could find myself there. I it, it was part of a family vacation I did. Uh, I think towards like the, my latter high school, early college years, and it was we were kind of doing like a Midwest tour, and Cleveland was one of the stops. And it was you know we were there for a day or two, and of course we went to go see the the rock and roll hall of fame and right. Yeah, no, it, it felt, uh, I don't think I got to experience it as an adult, like the nightlife or anything, but yeah, it was very, it was nice. Yeah. I, I think the only other TV show I can think of that makes Cleveland's reference to Cleveland is in 30 rock, right? Jason Sudeikis plays a love interest. Or somewhere. Oh yeah, he's moving. Yeah, he has to move to Cleveland. Right, right. And there's a whole joke about how Cleveland has a lot more to offer than people realize. Uh, <laughs> right. There's a whole thing with that. Um, but uh, that might have been a little tongue in cheek, but it's it's totally sincere with the show we're discussing today. So the whole the and granted uh, the whole uh, opening that's not introduced in this pilot, but Drew Carey has an entire song called Cleveland Rocks. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the most well-remembered intro that the show had, but we'll get into that because that's yeah. not the intro that we get in this first episode. Yes. Uh, so that being said, uh, the Drew Carey show uh, first aired, the, the pilot aired on September 13th, 1995 on ABC to 15.1 million viewers. So not the biggest viewership of the other shows we discussed, but not the lowest either definitely falls somewhere in the middle. There's a reason for that. I, I, uh, it aired at seven 30 in yeah. the beginning, had an early time slot, which, you yeah. know, nowadays, uh, network prime times are usually defined as eight to 11 or eight to 10, depending on the network. Uh, so seven 30, you know, it's usually when wheel of fortune airs on ABC uh, that, Seinfeld reruns. Like that's right. Seinfeld reruns uh, stuff to get on, you or... like, you know, sometimes what's called as fringe stuff to get you warmed up for prime time. But yeah, uh, yeah definitely an earlier time slot, which also affected uh, some of the content of the show. But uh, yeah, Drew Carey developed the show with writer producer Bruce Helford, and they had worked together on a couple of short lived shows uh, called Someone Like Me and The Good Life. Uh, the, and, uh, you know, for, for this show, uh, which was tailored around Drew Carey, it's, you know, one of those sitcoms basically that, you know, you take the, the comedian first and Taylor make the, the premise to their style of comedy. You know, it was interesting. Carey wanted to imagine what his life would be if he hadn't pursued comedy. 
what that would have led to. And this is, you know, this is what he thinks that would have been like. Working, an average man. Yeah. And, <laughs> an average man. <laughs> working in like a middle management job and just, you know, in any kind of office, basically. Uh, just, That's why comedians have t- sitcoms, just to imagine what their life would be like if they never went into comedy. Ray Romano would be a sports writer. Yeah. Kevin James would be a FedEx driver. I think the only one who knew he was going to go into comedy was Jerry Seinfeld. But yeah. Right. Because his, con- his show is like, oh, what if I was slightly less successful? Basically. Um, and of course, like we mentioned, the show takes place in uh, Drew Carey's hometown of Cleveland. So in terms of casting the different parts, um, I thought this was interesting. So the, the number two character on the show, I would say, is Kate, played by Krista Miller. Love her. Yeah, she's great. I think some people would know her also from Scrubs. Uh, and what's interesting, too, uh, when you know, she, she was pretty much the favorite to play the part of everyone who auditioned, but ABC execs didn't think that she might have had enough experience. She had filmed an episode of uh, Seinfeld. It just hadn't aired yet. She was in the season six episode, The Doodle. So she had to beg Larry David, Larry David for a rough cut to show the uh, ABZ execs that helped her secure the role. However, I would love to have heard that conversation. Um, I, I do have to say, though, that she did appear in a very brief role earlier in Seinfeld in a, as a different character in, hold on, uh, oh my God. season five episode. Ah, crap. <laughs> I don't want to look this up, but basically. I'm still giving you credit, though, because if you do know this, like I, this is shocking to me. Take a drink, everybody, for that Seinfeld reference. That's a, This is amazing. I actually have uh, I have another Seinfeld reference. Um, <laughs> Go right ahead. Oh, no, wait, that's, for, that's for another show we're going to discuss. But uh, basically, <laughs> uh, the first time she appeared on Seinfeld, it's when George is interviewing to be a bra salesman and he basically has the job. But then when he goes to take the elevator back down, there's a woman played by Chris Miller. Uh, he feels the material on her jacket, which offends her. It turns out she's like the, the head honcho there. And then that costs him the job. <laughs> so that was her first role. But then she appeared again as a love interest to George in the doodle. So just again, flexing my Seinfeld knowledge there. Although it is going to bother me that I can't remember the exact episode name <laughs> uh, that she first appeared in. But either way, I digress. Uh, she got the role, thankfully, and she's great in the character. She's very uh, charming, while still having like a lot of spunk. And it's it's so different than the character we also know her from Scrubs, right? In that, she's like very um, yeah, she be a little bit of a mean and cold character. Here, she's very warm. She's very much like the girl next door. She that is like she's one of the guys, one of the boys. Yeah, she's like a guy's girl, you could say. Yeah. Uh, And then Kathy Kinney plays the character Mimi, who is maybe the most recognizable character from the show physically. We're both dressed like her. So to honor the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Too bad we're not recording this, but we're both wearing that iconic uh, blue eyeshadow she wears on the show. But the uh, best decision the show's made, though, like in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Because watching the pilot, it, you can tell that maybe this wasn't initially a character who would be recurring, right? And that's that is the case. She was originally supposed to be in this pilot episode as a guest part. Uh, however, uh, Bruce Helford noticed that she was in all the funniest scenes, so they brought her back initially as a recurring role, and then that led to her being a regular. And again, like she adds a lot to the show, and I think she becomes one of like the pillars of the show's identity. I, it, 
she owns that role. Like it, it, not only like literally, but the way she delivers, like it, I, I just kept writing, like she's a chaotic force. And I don't yeah. mean that in a bad way. She's just like, is a like the sassiness, the comebacks. And also like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, cause I did really used to watch this. Uh, she marries Drew's brother. Yes. Yes. She yeah. marries Drew's cross-dressing brother yes. later on in the show. Yes. John Carroll Lynch, like famous character actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was another great casting choice. Uh, but yeah, she, she goes from being very much adversarial to frenemies with Drew, right? Um, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, but I think she adds, yeah, she, she's a good foil for the character and she adds an interesting element. Basically, she's the thorn in Drew's side for much of the show. Um, and then this is another fun fact. So a lot of people remember Craig Ferguson playing Drew's boss, right? But he isn't in, in the first season. He comes in season two. In the first season, Drew's boss is a character that is largely unseen named um, Mr. Bell, who's voiced by an actor named Kevin Pollack. And uh, he was, I think, more famous in the 90s. I don't think as many, he's not as many things recently, right? Would you say? Uh, Miss Maisel. He is, oh, that's uh, right. Of course. Yes. If you need a Jewish dad, you either get Tony Shalhoub or Kevin Pollack, and Miss Maisel got both. Like That's right. Yeah. 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 And I think he's he was, working like, yeah, he was in A Few Good Men, and, like his his peak of like really good movies, because I think he's been in a bunch of like crap, mm-hmm. uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes. But I, I think he's a very like he's a really great storyteller, comedian. Right. But, uh, I think he was. It was odd hearing his voice. <laughs> right, right. I would not have known that's his voice if I hadn't looked it up. But my, my thing is that he was in a lot of more movies back in the 90s. I think he would have been more yeah. recognizable. But anyway, he's the voice of the character. And then he appears at the end of season one as a surprise. Like, oh, look who it's been this whole time. Um, and then, of course, you also have um, Dietrich Bader and Ryan Stiles playing uh, the characters Oswald and Lewis. Uh, the- uh, not only just Oswald, like isn't his name like Oswald Harvey Lee? Like Oswald Lee Harvey, right? Like uh, that. Like, <laughs> like when I, I never knew that, but then I, when I was researching, I'm like, wait a minute, they did. It's all a joke based on like Lee Harvey Oswald, <laughs> right? Right. Like the name is this big joke, which is interesting. I mean, it's not like the. I'm character- sure they make fun of it at some point, but I haven't gotten there. Like, <laughs> I have a feeling that that's a reveal. That's meant to be a joke. And then yeah. obviously they just stick with it, right? Like maybe they didn't really know what his full name was in the beginning. Yeah. That's probably revealed a little later on. Um, and it's Good interesting. Joke, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's kind of a curse of a name. And then, yeah, uh, Carrie and Belfer, they wanted actually the title originally to be the Jew fucking Carrie show or like the Jew effing Carrie show. Effing, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that didn't really fly, especially with ABC being more family oriented and then also being in that 7.30 time slot. They also had to cut back on some of the more uh, risque or mature jokes in the show, uh, you know, again, with that uh, that early time slot. Um, I, like, I don't mind the, the, like, the risque jokes or, you know, I bet that sucked cu- having to cut it, but like, I think it was, a the Drew effing Carrie show doesn't have the same it was a good decision not to go with that. I agree. I don't think that really fits what this show is. Even this first episode, it's not really an in-your-face effing kind of show. It's yeah. It's very much a sitcom that has you know, maybe conventionally humor, but at the same time, I think it's a very charming show with likable characters. So it's you know, it, it really wouldn't have suited the show or given the right impression. I I, I think the 
I did watch the show. I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of 90s kids would remember that, like, Drew Carey for a time uh, really had a good deal with ABC because yep. I think with the success of the Drew Carey show, and I remember it being on Fridays. I remember it being on Fridays or Thursdays because Thursdays was also Whose Line Is It Anyway? And that was that took the world by storm as well. And then he also did a really crappy uh, Pinocchio movie yes. uh, for ABC. I remember that. He but, got ragged uh, on on Whose Line Is yeah, It Anyway yes. all the time for that. I don't remember uh, – I remember the Drew Carey show was a show that like it would take sitcom chances. Like they did a live episode. They did a who's line episode. They did, it got like silly in such a fun way. Yeah. And I just, I, after watching a couple, uh, the pilot and then just seeing what the next few episodes were about, um, it needed some time in the oven because as it's very, as the kids say, basic, very yeah. likable characters, but very like it needed like the way I would describe this show or at least the pilot is a lot of people who really don't have experience in television working together and just figuring out how to become better uh, comedic actors and better uh, uh, situational storytellers. Because yeah. we'll get into it. But there are times where I'm like. Oh, no one talks like that. No one really talks like that. They're just delivering a stand-up bit. I agree. I think a lot of yeah. this first episode especially is Drew going on some of these bits that you might hear him say yeah. on stage. And I think the strength of the show comes from the relationships he has with his friends. Yeah. And I think that is something that even worked on from what I read going into filming the pilot. They, when they were rehearsing, you know, they weren't really making a lot of eye contact with each other. And so they kind of had – a whole session of just bonding the cast. I, yeah. I think it was a retreat where they just basically hung out, got to know each other better, got more friendly with each other because obviously that needs to translate on screen. And I think you get a little bit of a sense of that in the first episode, but of course they just start working together. And I think from the episodes I remember in the later seasons, you definitely get a sense that there's a lot of familiarity in chemistry. Well, yeah, a lot of them went on to work. Uh, I mean, obviously Ryan Stiles introduced whose line, but I, I like, Diedrich Bader, of course, we've seen he's voiced and he, like we still see him and stuff. Like yeah. they're still very good friends. And who would know if you were to tell this Drew Carey in 1998 or 1995 uh, that he would one day host The Price Is Right for like yeah. like ten years now or so? I think like, it's, it's been fifteen, fifteen oh years. My, like oh my god! Like it's what a career! <laughs> what I a, know. Like what a what a television career! Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, he, I don't really know much about his stand up prior to the show, but if this first pilot episode is any indication of that, yeah, I think you, you could see him grow a lot. And I think also being the host of Whose Line Is It Anyway very much suited him as well. I think he went from being a little more of this sort of like wacky comedian to a little more of like this charming, a little bit of an old school vibe to him too. He is what like, I I think it's I or I know it's on YouTube, but they're like he is. Before uh, Comedy Central started really doing roasts, like that old Friars cr uh, Club roast, like he is mm -hmm. that kind of like, like not like oh the next new comedian is roasting Drew Carey. It's like let's get all these old school comedians like Phyllis Diller and Dom Herrera yeah. and. And like a young twenty-five-year-old Jeff Ross, like let's get them 
to re like whether it's televised or not let's just this is the thing that we do he's very yeah it is kind of like uh like an ode to like it starts out as a conventional like old school sitcom and it's the the drew carey that i watched like it it then started morphing into what i knew like a good 90s sitcom yeah definitely that, yeah. a lot of unexpected moments and yeah you're right there is a playfulness to it that they discovered that really worked yeah. with the sort of i don't want to say quirkiness it's more like a goofiness that goofiness, is goofiness but they they chat they ch like they challenged the the media they did some yeah a live episode i've never heard of a live episode outside of 30 rock like it's yeah yeah right yeah. It, it, they really played around with the format in ways that was to its benefit so you know, uh, I think we we discussed a lot about the behind the scenes, the making of it, and we might as well now at this point uh, go to the pilot. So we start in our first scene here at the Warsaw Tavern, and here we meet Drew, Lewis, and Oswald. Uh, interesting first conversation to have. You know, they're having beers, and they're talking about how Brad Pitt was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, and yeah, they're just talking about, can you admit if a man is good-looking? This is sort of a conversation we've heard on other sitcoms, but... You know, as much as this conversation is kind of a weird note to start on, it's I think the the point of the conversation here is that there are not people like Brad Pitt in Cleveland, that the standard of good looking men is much lower, which is good news for these guys who fancy themselves as more of your average Joes. So there's yeah, there's less competition and women have lower standards. Uh, so that is the point. I think they could have gotten that across in a way that's a little less clumsy, but that is your uh, your opening scene there. So what do you think of that? My two notes are like, it's a fine, co it's average conversation. Like it seems, it, it seems like, uh, like, oh, how do we start? The, how do we sh start this show? Like, it's like, what mm -hmm. do we start on? And it's like, it's that, uh, I guess this kind of, how do we do something that's different from Seinfeld? Like what, we, what are just average guys talking about? Oh yeah, Brad Pitt's cute and he is, objectively attractive like oh, i want the kind of woman that like it uh but the i did take note that ryan styles from the get-go has that whose line energy i bet he was such to be a an audience member yeah i think he I, he has this like aloofness. Love to see the bloopers yeah. yeah yeah he has this aloofness about him and he's or, or almost a sort of um blase way of his characters physically yeah Exactly. That's a good way to describe it. Blase. And then uh, with Drew, what I noticed in this first scene and for a lot of this first episode, he looks back and forth a lot. And then he will sort of um, mock his friends, right? Like at, at one point, Oswald is like, oh, imagine all the girls. If I had all the girls that Brad Pitt had and Drew sort of like throws that back at him in the same sort of voice, right? He kind of will, will bounce off a lot of the other characters a lot in a way. Uh, you know, in, in mockingly. So that that sort of is uh, the precedent of at least the rest of this first episode. Uh, uh, 
Like, what does he say? Like, oh, you you will drive those girls to uh, Brad Pitt's house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he, he kind of turns some of these comments around. And, like, again, they're hit and miss sort of comments. But, yeah, very much um, you're getting a lens into into his personality and to his, into his comedy. So, then, yeah. So then, then we move on to the, the opening credits, which, you know, it's not the famous Cleveland Rocks intro. That was not the intro until season three surreal right here we get a very plain white screen with a caricature of drew carey singing a song called move over parma which i am not that familiar with but they i do i believe that i think they heard it in a in one of the bars yeah when they were basically going to cleveland to do research to capture what the feel of the bar set would be they heard this song and it works then the city of cleveland is mentioned in the song so it does work, and I think, listen, it's not the most memorable intro, but it has this sort of, I don't know, um, cozy sort of feel to it. It's a little retro. I think it fits with what the earlier part of the show was trying to do. And listen, like, if you think about it, too, that Cleveland Rocks intro is a much higher caliber production than you know, a first season show is going to get right. Like I watched that on YouTube recently and you know, you have a lot of choreography, you have a lot of extras, you have people running in the street, you have all these different locations. It is definitely a much bigger, you know, like I said, it's a higher production value intro. And that's not something a lot of shows at this time for a network show are going to get right off the get go, unless maybe your friends and they really ha- know right away what they have. Typically a first season, right? Like, they're testing the waters, and if you are hit, then they'll give you more money. I think it took a while, or at least until like maybe it's the Craig Ferguson effect, but around like season two and th- and then three, that's when the Drew Carey show became the Drew Carey show. Because yeah, no, I don't remember this opening at all. Like I was like, wait, what? What? I believe <laughs> I remember catching the occasional season one episode when it was at the height of syndication. And being very thrown off, right? Because the majority of the episodes they played had that Cleveland Rocks intro. But once in a while, I would catch this one and get annoyed because part of what I enjoyed so much about the show was that that bigger intro. But again, like it's understandable that that's something you get later on. Uh, so this suits, you know, a first episode sort of thing. Um, so after the intro, we move on to scene two in Drew's house. So here, uh, you know, Drew is dressed to go to work while Lewis cleans up. And they had a party the night before. Uh, Oswald is sort of just lazing around. He wants uh, to get paid for his bad DJ uh, that he did the, the night before. <laughs> we also learned that uh, Lewis works for a drug company. Uh, the guys are basically just like joking around. It's a very relaxed scene. And again, you're getting a lot more of that Drew Carey you know, his basically his stand-up style. He's going on some of these tangents about, you know, oh, isn't America great? How you have drive-through liquor stores? Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, little bits like that. You know, basically he's he's getting a platform to do his shtick in a way. And he is, thankfully, what this pilot has going for it is is that he's charming, or he's charming yes. enough. Like I still think like. You, uh, this show ran for what, like nine seasons? It's yeah. gotten better. Like, you get better at it. Um, but I did make the note that I'm like, I know doing a sitcom is different than doing 
like Sopranos, but it still feels, at least with him, it's like theater acting. Like if that makes sense, like I, I I'm like there's something that it's just not like it just seems very green. I think that's the that's the way I would describe it. I totally agree. He doesn't really seem like he has a lot of acting experience. He's had minor roles prior to his own show, but for the most part. I think he's still very much in stand-up mode. And yeah, I think the, when you use the word um, you know, th- uh, theater or uh, theatrical, that really rings true because you know, as a stand-up comedian, a lot of times you're feeding off the energy of the crowd. And I think that's very much what he's doing in, in this scene especially. So yeah, again, it, as, as the show will go on, he'll kind of get more adjusted to this newer format. But for the, for the time being, it's, it's very transitional, I think, for him. And, and and of course, a lot of the jokes are very sick. I wrote a uh, sitcomy. Yeah. But there's there's one joke that I'm like, I'm sure that this scene, they definitely had to cut out one of the like standards and practices are like, you can't do this. You can't do that. Yeah. But there's one joke that I'm like, there's a tiny seed of what like the Drew Carey show would become where he's like, hey, guys, who drank all my non-generic beer? And I'm like, that's. Like mm-hmm. that, how do we get around the sponsor or just like something that's so not of the norm? Like you, it's just kind of playing with the 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 language of it. A little bit of a of a self aware joke, right? Like yeah, self aware. Yeah. The the very smallest of fourth wall breaking. It's not even a fourth wall break. It's more like a fourth wall knock. <laughs> if Lean. You will. Yeah. It's like leaning on the fourth wall. Uh, yeah, hinting at it really. Uh, and then we get uh, the introduction to um, to Kate. Kate enters, and she's whining about how her um, you know, she broke up with her boss, who then went on to fire her. And then she asks Drew if you know she if he could hire her because we learned that Drew yeah you know, he works as a personnel management at a department store. Uh, but yeah, I'm not really crazy about this conversation either because Drew is going on about how Kate was only hired because the boss wanted to have sex with her. And I think that's a little unfair for the character and a kind of a weird way to start because I think our first impression of Kate is that she's maybe a ditz, but I, I never really had that impression of her watching the show from the later seasons. I always had a more impression of her being like a very, I don't know, a character that stands up for herself and it actually has a lot of agency. So for her to start off with being someone who only gets jobs because she's attractive, yeah, I, I don't know if that's setting the right tone. I don't want to use the excuse of it was the 90s, it was a different time. It just sounds like young men, younger than us, I would say, uh, young men writing for a woman. Like sure. I, like it, and, and first time... And even though we said like like Bruce and Drew worked together on sitcoms, they really didn't go anywhere. Right. And this is uh, yeah yeah I I it's I don't know if it's it's cringe, but it's also I'm trying to look at it as just like how do we get from a how do we get Kate fired? That's how like how is Kate fired? And just like oh th- what we go for the sexiest. Once again, they're trying to be a little bit vulgar on a on a family. Like, how do we go for the sexiest? And it's just not. It sounds like young, young men, young boys writing for a woman. That's right. how I kind of. And I'm not saying I'm better at all, or like, or how I would do it at that age. I would be better. I'm just saying it just at this. It was hitting me that way. 
I would be better. I could find out something just to do it. Um, no, but I hear what you're saying. I think basically they're just trying to figure out how to establish the things that they need to establish, which is that, you know, she needs a job and she doesn't have a very good dating life, right? I think that's something that's going to also carry forward into some of these other you know, episodes in the first season. But they don't, they don't, they don't really convey that in a way that, you know, it, it, it's subtle. It's done in a very clumsy way. So, you know, that's unfortunate. But again, it's very much like this clunky. is the, this is where the character is starting. And you're right. It's yeah. it's a clunky way to get that across, unfortunately. And you're right about Kate. Like in the late in some of the later episodes, it's like if you throw something at her, she'll throw one right back at yeah. you. She can ch- she can chug a beer like it's, she's definitely written by guys. And like it's like but it's I think Krista like all the like I, she's on a great show right now called Shrinking. She's able to really make. She has a, a humor about her, but all the characters I've seen her play over the years, from Scrubs to Cougar Town, she's able to kind of, like, make them very different. Yeah. Like, just different sides of her. And this is her young girl hanging out with guy's, guy's side. Yep, I That's, agree. Yeah. Uh, I think she she can stand tall. She can be yeah. playful, or she can be a little more rough around the edges. Raised by brothers. Mm-hmm. Or with brothers. Like, that uh, that Jennifer Lawrence-esque type. Like, I, like... Right, right. Like you said, like she's a guy's girl sort of thing. Guy's girl, yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in this in this way, I, I, I that's you know, in terms of maturity, not just for for Drew as a comedian, but then also you know as as a writing team too. There's a bit of a ways to go. And he doesn't get with her. I, 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 I think if I'm not mistaken, he goes with someone else. And I, I think there was always a hint of something. I think maybe they tried or basically. Right. It, it w- they never really went all the way as being a, a couple, but I think there was always maybe that idea thrown out there every now and then. I'll take it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I like because they have a strong friendship. And, you know, uh, I don't remember exactly the storyline that got her off the show because she is not in the last two seasons. I think this, the eighth season begins with the character's departure. I bet. I bet. And here's what uh, I've. And this is, I say it all the time now because of this podcast. We didn't know how to end shows back then. Like mm-hmm. it, it, we recently in ter- grand in the grand scheme of television, we recently are finding out that we can end shows. But we did not know how to end shows, so we just a show just carried on. And I do think the last season of the Drew Carey show was like really low in ratings. But I, I Scrubs had to start by then. I agree. I think that's what I suspected was that, you know, she was moving from one show to another. And you're right. A lot of times shows just ended. Right. I I think we've taken for granted as a modern audience getting a TV show finale. But for the longest time, it was like a show just ended. And that was that. But for the shows that were really beloved, that were like the mega hit shows, you did them the courtesy of tying things up in an official end. I'll tell you this. We've had like fives uh like one two like five bonds and george lazenby is like just one movie only one of them got an ending like a, a character goodbye they right. just went go- they just kept going until the movie stopped being good <laughs> uh, that that's true until the actor wanted out and it's like okay, yeah basically well. basically but that television just works on that but it's a, like I'm sure it's a lot more frustrating where, uh, at least for her, it's just like, I think I've said everything I needed to say with this character. I'm t- time for a new chapter. Yeah, that's fair. She played the part for, for seven seasons and then the beginning of the eighth season just to have her farewell. 
That creep Barry fired me this morning. For what? For being late. <laughs> oh, that sucks. You drive in together. That's only because we live together. But, you know, that's over. I threw him out last night. Hold it. I'm getting something. <laughs> you live with your boss. You broke up with him, and he fired you the very next day. Hello, Ripley's. You're not going to believe it. We move on to the carpool. And this is a very interesting scene. Uh, Drew is in this packed car that definitely has way more people in it than yeah, it should. Uh, that made me nervous. <laughs> right? There's there's four people in the front and four people in the back. I can see s- squeezing four people in the back, but four people in the front. And, of course, Drew is in the most precarious position, being sat next to the driver. I guess it's one of those old bench seat cars. But- cars our grandparents used to drive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So here's the thing, you know, it's it's Cleveland, so I guess there's not as much public transit. They they say there is a bus, but you know, he's carpooling and everyone in this carpool looks absolutely miserable. And Drew is definitely not helping. <laughs> he's like again doing his shtick. At one point he's yelping like a dog in someone's ear. <laughs> yeah, at that point I would have thrown him out of the car. <laughs> I hated it. I know I I found him I don't know why they uh like it does go somewhere, but I don't think the this subplot adds anything. It just makes Drew look annoying. Yeah, I agree. It's not a very long scene. And it's it's sort of an awkward scene, and it great at the very end. It just it's quiet. Drew's trying to create some conversation, and at the end, there's a little bit of chitter chatter. It doesn't go anywhere. Next scene. Do you think it was just added for like, hey, we only have like fifteen minutes of of a show. We gotta add t- like it, I just. You could have really gone from his house to his uh, to his work, right? Like, because even though there is like a an ending, an arc to this subplot, it just it Drew does not come off looking good in this. I I agree. I I guess uh, there, whether it's runtime or right, like in the next scene, Drew is walking into his office. He's complaining about the carpool, and maybe someone from an executive point of view was like, "Hey, let's see the carpool." Yeah, let's yeah, let's probably. get a little more insight. Like, why does he get kicked out of his carpool? Like, let's figure out why. But you don't really need to. You can just assume that maybe the carpool is full of a bunch of jerks. Who knows, right? Like, you can just fill in the blanks yourself. Um, so now we move on to Drew's office, right? Drew works in um, uh, like basically a, the office of a department store as a, a manager managerial position in charge of personnel. He basically hires evaluates and fires people and they set up this interesting he works in a cubicle ish sort of setup right it's the set is interesting in that they give him a i think is a very believable workspace but of course for a tv sitcom you have to be able to see into that you can't be completely closed off so they do in a way where okay it's sort of like an open cubicle which is also a thing so i i totally buy it no, it's uh, it's like the fourth wall is the cube, like one of the cubicle walls. Yeah, it's a space within the space, yeah. which uh, I think is is neat. I do like this office space. Uh, so he he's talking to a coworker about you know, how his carpool sucks. You know, he has to get up early just to get here later. Um, but the the main part of this scene basically is that he has to interview someone for an opening in the cosmetics department. And this is where Mimi enters. Bobek. M- Mimi, yeah, Mimi, Mimi Bobek. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Mimi Bobek enters. And, uh, you know, it's at first, um, 
sort of an awkward interview, but it quickly turns into this confrontation, right? So like, uh, it almost seems like Mimi assumes she won't get the job almost the second she sits down. Yeah, there's a little, it's a little awkward, but basically uh, she figures she's not going to get the job based on a comment Drew makes. And then she goes into this tirade accusing Drew of being sexist and you know, basically making a scene that everyone in the office is witnessing. She's going to threaten Drew. She's going to call his boss, get him into trouble. And then she storms off. She calls him a pig. And that's the end of the scene. And, you know, I don't know if Drew really does anything to warrant that sort of abuse. But at the same time, I think the character Mimi had this preconceived objective to to erupt and to go on that kind of that kind of rant right i think maybe what i'm imagining is that she got rejected a bunch of times this is maybe her 10th job she's trying to get she's tired of being turned away because of how she looks and she's just basically taking it out on drew that's what i am projecting as her backstory because otherwise you know does drew really deserve this sort of treatment from her and her you know her ire i don't really think so no, but it really kind of sets the stage for the their relationship because I, 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 I declare on my end that I think this was like the best scene in the show. Like this is like uh, – this is where like the Drew Carey show was like really born from just at least like that kind of energy from both her and Drew because, yeah, even though like you know what – like the lines are very like – conventional generic it's just at least how she's delivering them yeah no what the audience is eating it up and he's just like ripping up her resume and like it's like oh i i see you speak spanish like there's some very yeah we'll let you know she's like very good there's some very good uh back and forth here and like i think that's when like drew carey started at least feeling comfortable in his own skin and granted, he doesn't hold that for the rest of the episode sometimes, but at least that, I this was probably the best scene in the pilot. Well, I think it shows that he needs someone to play off of, to bounce off yes. of, right? Because otherwise, in a lot of the other scenes, you know, like the characters of Oswald and Lewis aren't really fleshed out that much yet. They're kind of just the friends. You don't know too much about yeah. them. So it's kind of just him doing his thing while they listen. Here, you know, again, it's good to have a foil and – Perfect he, he's having yeah. a lot to feed off of and it's it's a nice volley between the two characters and i i even even when it was tense before it, it erupted into an argument right like at one point she goes you know i'm single if that helps and he goes doesn't help me yeah. <laughs> like I, I enjoyed that i also liked his recovery like oh well we don't consider that other way i think yeah like he will he will try to save himself a lot of times too when he makes these sort of comments that all i think plays into the strengths that you see in um you know what when the show does mature and when you the inside baseball research that we did like it does a lot of people would go oh this is the introduction of uh mimi's character to the show it's like Mm -hmm. but i do get the sense of like yeah this is like every uh every episode is drew just interviewing some crazy character and this the first episode just happened there is that essence of just like mimi's not coming back like not coming back after this and it's the, still the best decision that they said like hey let's make her part of the main cast yeah exactly i think she she definitely adds a lot more as we'll see um uh so then um yeah we cut to uh, drew's house in the next scene 
Uh, or like at least it starts in his, I think that's his side yard or his backyard. He has an outdoor pool table. Something is, like that, yeah. Which it's is interesting. Disgusting. Yeah, I know. It's covered disgusting. in leaves and it's dirty and stuff. But I think that's that's intentional. And you know, Drew comes in. He's all riled up from his experience at work getting in trouble. And I, I, here I, I get a little bit of a kick out of him. You're, you're not like, sincere enough. Right, right. Like someone asked me how my day is. Oswald asks, Oh, you're not sincere enough. Someone else asks. You know, that that's all funny. He's waving the pool the, the pool cue around. Um and you know, he, he they go inside and he's like ranting about how yeah, you know, he got accused of being sexist, he had to fill out all these forms, and this is gonna really mess with his plans, you know, like he wants to get a promotion soon, he has goals, he has ambition, and I think that actually I found sort of interesting too. You know, he comes off as a goofball in the earlier parts of the episode. But here, you know, he's talking about how he really wants to, yeah, be successful and yeah, to have a plan for his life. And I think that I found it to be actually kind of compelling and and relatable, right? Like, yeah, you, you people uh, like to goof around. Like, you know, he's 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 basically um, connecting with I think a lot of viewers at home who do love this sort of comedy, but at the same time, like, yeah, they. It's it's like smaller scale stakes in a way that means a lot on a personal level, which yeah. uh, I think that that really works and you can connect to. He's a surprising everyman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say. I I think in this moment of frustration, where you get a more serious side of him, I I think that's really helpful for the show and to help you get more invested in him. And then of course that raises the stakes too, uh, because you know spoiler alert in the next episode. We discover that Mimi has been hired, and she is going to be a thorn in his side, and you know, try to get him fired or at least get in trouble. And so that that'll really be a good. That's a good formula there, right? He he does mean well. Sometimes he gets himself in trouble with his with this joking around, and now he has this this enemy basically who's going to be constantly getting him, you know, get, getting in his way. It adds a little. What this show needs is like it, it, it's like I hate to say it, but it's very bland. And mm. at least like it adds, especially with Mimi, it's like a bland stew. And Mimi and even Craig Ferguson and his brother, mm-hmm. uh, like they it's just and the craziness that uh, that Lewis and Oswald become. They become like full fledged characters. Yes, they do. Um, And it just it becomes adds a little extra spice and once again i think i remember like a freaking musical in this like they had to have been right i remember like the you know the set pulling apart and drew singing i remember that like it's like this show took uh like really big chances with just the sitcom style but yeah it's such a it's surreal that like uh, this pilot is very like uh cut and paste like i've Mm -hmm. you could see it on the background of like a like it would it would be like a sitcom in the background of another show. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's it's almost like, um, you know, like it's not standing out in any significant way for most of these scenes. But but it does the simple setup. How dare you? Da da da. Like right, it, it's right, very like, basic. Yeah, I, it's a, like, there's a formula there, but they didn't even realize what they had stumbled onto. Right, that you got some sparks, and so thankfully. You went upon you know, putting it together in the in the edit bay that they uh, they saw like that they did have a chance to do something that was yeah. different set them apart. I'm happy it's found it found its uh, I like gimmick later on. It was given time to find that gimmick later on, and it had the ratings to continue on. But like you know we we uh, we weren't that 
soft on the third rock, but there was that gimmick like aliens and human bodies learning mm-hmm. how to be human. Like, oh, right. that's like uh, this is just like generic sitcom. Right, right. And we we know it retrospectively what makes it unique. But if yeah. again, we'll talk about like what we've done before. You know, how, how would we how would we think about the show if we were our age when it first aired? You know, first yeah. impression, not knowing what it would become. Uh, last thing about the scene, though, is that we learned that Lewis is a maintenance man, right? He works for a drug company that was mentioned before, but we didn't know what capacity yet. And he's basically a, a janitor, which, um, you know, that's not any, I'm just saying like that establishes further that these are like working class guys, right? That they are, you know, basically just, they do their nine to fives and then they, you know, they meet up at, at a bar for some brews to vent and hang out and goof around. So that's that's all like it, they're they're chums in a way. That's a good way. Yeah, chums. Um, another drink, chum. So the next scene here, uh, we're back at the Warsaw Tavern, and you know it starts off with Drew getting uh, annoyed by someone who's telling him how his cheeseburger is unhealthy for him. <laughs> you know, like, and he goes into this whole bit again, like, oh my gosh, thank God you told me I would have. Yeah, why does the government regulate this stuff? Thank you, sir. He's like being facetious, and then he, uh, you know, tells the guy to get lost. Awkward, but uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know how many people just turn around to the table next to him and, and are like, you know, oh, you shouldn't eat that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, Drew is still upset. His friends aren't doing much help, and then we get a little bit of the Lewis. I don't know eccentricity here. He's like suggesting he that Drew go into a se- sensory deprivation tank. And um, I don't know. That doesn't really go anywhere except for Lewis going to the bathroom. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I got to pee. Yeah, he's like thinking of water. Uh, but Mimi enters the, the bar and uh, Drew points her out to, uh, to Kate and Oswald. And they're like, you know, trying to calm him down. She sees them. She insults Drew and Kate, right? Then Kate is like, get her, <laughs> get her, Drew. So, um Drew decides to to approach Mimi, but she, you know, actually he has good intentions, right? He wants to level with her. He's like, you know, let, let me be honest with you, you know, like no BS. Yeah, you know, I wasn't after you. He tries to reason with her, you know, tries to tell her, like, listen, you know, looks had something to do with it, but also you had a bad attitude, and that's why I couldn't hire you. And she doesn't really have any of that. She just tells him, you know, bite me, <laughs> and then she storms off. So she's uh, like, "I thought you were sexist, but now, uh, now I think you're stupid." Right, right, right. She basically is not going to give him a chance. Like it's, it's like she's really made up her mind about him. It's almost as if she is projecting all of the worst things about men onto Drew. Right, like she has uh, an idea of like what men are based on maybe how she's been treated, and Drew is the um embodiment of that in her eyes um, i can see that yeah you know so uh yeah and then lewis arrives he's like you know who's your friend <laughs> you know he kind of makes things a little worse uh so then we uh go next scene to uh to back to drew's office you know drew is seemingly having a, a good interview with a promising applicant but then after that you know kate arrives and she has a resume. She's asking Drew to interview her. And he really doesn't want to. You know, it's going to be awkward. They're friends, right? Like, what if he has to fire her? Uh, but, you know, it's too late because uh, his boss, Mr. Bell, calls Drew and tells him to hire her. So he basically doesn't have a choice then at this point. Uh, and then meanwhile, uh, you know, during the scene as well, 
Drew gets uh, kicked out of his carpool, right? The driver basically uh, tells him he's been voted out. And so just that's the ending to that subplot. <laughs> Again, that didn't really. He had a carpool. Now he doesn't have a carpool. Uh, I think this is actually going to be more of a recurring joke throughout the first season, at least based on the subsequent episodes I did watch where he's trying to figure out what his ride is. He's tries. He's going to try a few different carpools. Oh yeah. I, Oh God. Yeah. It gets a little, I, look, it, it's as silly as this show got in a good way. It does end up, it also has, it's like, I guess still trying to figure out how silly it can get in its own way. It's, uh, I that right. one car with the bees. I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> right. And then the truck, right. It's borrowed his neighbor's truck at one point. Um, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, but again, like that's what we've discovered through pilots. And I guess even just first seasons in general, you're just trying different things. And, you know, yeah. eventually they had to let that whole bit go, thankfully. Um, so, you know, Drew at the end of the scene, though, the biggest takeaway is Drew does agree to hire Kate basically because his boss told him to, but, you know, he's, he's going to help her out, you know, have some sort of, you know, he's going to, he's going to tell her like, you know, give me something, give me something that makes you qualified for this job. Basically. Uh, he's pleading with her. Uh, and that's one joke too. I kind of laugh. She, she says that she's, um, what she say? Like she can knock someone out, right. She can win a fight. And Drew says like, Oh yeah, that's definitely something we look for in our cosmetic department workers. <laughs> that's like, I thought that was funny. Oh, no, you're not sexist. You're just stupid. Hey, sometimes appearance matters. You know what? I'm never going to model Speedos. I look like a Bartlett pair with a rubber band wrapped around the bottom. But that's life. You go out and you find something you're good at and you quit blaming everybody else. Well, when you put it like that, bite me, jackass. So then we get an act break. And this basically, uh, that is the episode, but we do get this, uh, this tag that leads into the credits. It's a pretty long tag, too. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a sort of an epilogue scene in a way. But it's the last scene here. We're back at Drew's apartment. It's raining. Uh, you know, cats and dogs. The, the, um, Drew and Oswald and Lewis are inside. Drew's making hot cocoa. Uh, Kate arrives. They're celebrating her new job. She's asking them to, like, test her on fragrances, I guess, like smelling her hand. And then an interesting way to end this. You know, Drew wants to have some fun. He puts on his raincoat. It's like a very old-fashioned yellow raincoat with a matching bucket hat and he's like come on guys come outside let's play in the rain and you know, no one else is really interested so you know drew runs out in the pouring rain to play on his pool table he's like slipping and sliding in the mud his friends are uh cheering him on and he's he's, he's like having a blast it's it it's, was a fake slip too i noticed that. yeah yeah it's, it was it's very fun. fake slip it, but uh, you know basically you know it's it's sort of an endearing moment here where you know, he's kind of like a kid at heart in a way where he likes to be out in the rain and yeah, you know, it's, it was a little unexpected for me, but uh, yeah, because they didn't know how to end the episode. <laughs> it is a weird way to end the episode, but at the same time you get a little more, a little more personality here. We're- you know, it just hit me. Uh, mm-hmm. um, at least with this overview of this episode, it's just, I, I feel like I watched like there, I feel like there were like two episodes worth mm. in this pilot. Like you got the Kate, which got more it was more focused in the latter half and then you got the mimi in the beginning right right um, yeah yeah it's interesting in terms of uh what they're trying to set up here and what what the plot is for just this first episode or just as an establishment uh it, it's like okay we're gonna get kate now working with drew right because there are some scenes in these other episodes that are in the department store when he checks yeah. up on her uh but then 
yeah, I think Beamy is the biggest takeaway, which they didn't even realize, right? Uh, because otherwise, you know, what you get with Lewis and Oswald, I think they figured, okay, those are his friends. We'll worry about them later, uh, basically. But but with Mimi, it, uh, since it was the first episode and they didn't really know the potential, Mimi's arc doesn't really – or that story doesn't really wrap up. It, it just ends no. with her calling him an idiot. And... Right. She storms out of the bar, and that's the last you see of her in this first episode, which, again, is interesting. It almost – it does seem to imply that – uh, at least initially that that would be it for her. Like that's the last you see of her, or maybe you might see her at the bar again around town, whatever, but yeah, you don't get a sense that she's going to be working with him because he didn't give her the job. It's, it's definitely like the next episode when you see that she is hired, you can tell that's something they thought of afterwards to do. Um, so, you know, that's, that's like interesting that in this moment in time, She's given this this incomplete story, but it does it does make sense in the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, but yeah, no. I, since we are a pilot show, it just it, I just um, it's now hitting me that you're like yeah, oh wow, they, you know, this is twenty two minutes, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of sets it up that it's going to be a, a interview problem, a, a hiring problem, and then it's like oh yeah, Kate, how do we solve this, Kate? Thank God for Kevin Pollack. Hire that hot girl with the cans, like right, basically right. that. And then, and then I, I, yeah, you're right. In the first, in the first season, at least for the first few episodes, Kate is working for him. And I don't know, I, I can't remember the, I don't remember her working for him in the later seasons. Right. I don't know if that lasts too long. Yeah. It's I, nice what, to have some continuity, at least like some, yeah. like, oh, my character did this, and now they do that. But maybe it's just the first season thing, right? But uh, I think probably what would have made more sense as a tag, maybe you could have like reshot an ending that did end with Drew going back to work and seeing that Mimi has been hired. Instead of that being the beginning of the second episode. Oh, that would have been great. Right. That could have been the tag of the first episode to really set up what is basically the main rivalry of the show. Like, you know, I'm going to be here. I'm going to make your life hell. And this is the beginning, you know, as an established, you know, as a, as a catalyst type of pilot. This is now the situation Drew finds himself in for the duration of the series. That's so much better because, yeah, if you're watching the second episode, you go like, wait, I don't know what the hell's going on. Right. Like, like what, do, what do I expect now going into episode two? Yeah. Uh, which, you know, what do you after the first scene you do, but, you know, between episodes one and two, maybe not so much. Um, so, yeah, that's the end of the pilot episode. So, you know, I think we're maybe not too crazy about this pilot as well, right? But I don't know. I think that looking at this, even though it's very generic, I think I get little glimpses here of things that I do like. And so let's. I want to start with the strengths of the pilot. I think that it gets its Cleveland setting, right, I think, from the get-go. It has that homely feel to it, right, the relatable the the rust belts the the working class i think it gets all that right away even like the music right you get like a lot of that sort of like accordion polka type rock music is like the transition music i think it it's getting the setting right from the get-go i don't it's not maybe getting the characters or the dynamics right in the beginning but i think establishing this world at least or for a feel for that world i think they are able to do that (laughs) that 
plus like you you said the characters and like yeah the dynamics the characters the characterizations of some aren't really there it really is kind of drew kate and mimi mm-hmm. and but you get a little bit of lewis and a little bit of oz but they're kind of be yourself comic relief yeah. and i i personally like i like to see people grow in their craft and it's nice to see like like very it's, it looks like very humble beginnings but you know watching it live you have no idea where the show's gonna go uh i would say one of the strengths is like the vibe if like there is a sense that like if they did not do that retreat or hang out this would be a much different show and probably would not have last but Mm -hmm. there is a sense of camaraderie there is a sense of like i am uh there is a sense of chemistry there that is only going to grow yeah, I agree. And I think you get some sort of I, – I, I buy that these are characters who've been friends for a long time. I, I buy that in the first episode. You know, it, it doesn't really feel awkward to me. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like a mix of the two different kinds of pilots I've mentioned, Catalyst and Established, right? Like, they have, it's not like they're friends that are meeting for the first time. It's not like Drew is just starting this new job, right? Like, he's still living his life, but now a couple things are changing. A little bit it's changing a little bit uh so you get a little bit of of both um so uh i you know like we mentioned already before weaknesses you know it's it's not a show that really makes an impression that's going to be doing anything different and you know it critically it was compared to a lot of other sitcoms that were already successful it was actually compared mostly to friends which i find interesting because I find the Friends show has a totally different vibe than this one, right? I think the Friends cast, they're younger, they're they're a little sassier, a bit they're way more trendy. And I think that's a totally different world than this one. I don't think I would actually myself compare this to Friends. I outside of the I mean the show overall, I'm I'll bookmark it. How about this? I'll bookmark it in a later episode and I'll say this is a show that reminds me of the Drew Carey show because it does develop an identity uh, that becomes its own. Mm-hmm. Like right now it's generic and you know we'll give leeway to that even though I don't think a maybe 2020 audience would be as forgiving but a 90s audience, 80s audience, we're, we're very different people back then. Mm-hmm. But it does develop its own identity Um that I do think it's is its own, but right now, like I just I have, like, the closest is probably Roseanne, like we said, but that's also a very different kind of sitcom. That's more yeah. family mid. That's more family. More domestic. Man, more domestic. This one's more. They're friends. That's it. That, mm-hmm. That's basically it. They're, they're friends. They're being compared <laughs> to friends because they are literal friends. But uh, I, I every think, time we hang out, everyone goes, "You're friends." You remind me of remind which, me of that David Schwimmer. Yeah, yeah. Which one's you, Ross? Which one of you's Joey? All right. Uh, but I'm Chandler. <laughs> get out of here. Uh, so yeah, you do get comparison to other shows, just I guess structurally. But um, you know, I, I think it's it's hard at that time. Yeah, this is '95. At this time, Friends is huge. Seinfeld is huge. And it's it's I'll, I'll, so many other shows are in their shadow basically, so it's hard to not be yeah. compared. Um, it's probably closer to Seinfeld in in its own like they're they're more friends that way than they are friends. I, I guess they're the same. I 
Drew looks like 40 all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Like, I, I looked I, it up. Like, he was he was 37 when this shit, episode really? airs. Yeah, he was born in oh 1958, God. and this episode aired in 95. So. I thought he was like 28, just the way they're like, oh, we partied. Uh, like the way we partied, but he has a house, but he bought his parents' house. Mm. 37. Well, you know, that's, that's, Hey, that old? that's great. Yeah. No, that, that, no, that's not old. I'm just like, Hey, it's like, he's always looked that. He's yeah, always, I agree. He's yeah. always looked like that. Except I, now he looks, he looks, he looks like he's scruffy. He's, now. Pri- he's scru- he, gray hair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, but yeah, but he always had those signature glasses, right? Those, those are always iconic. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, the last thing I want to maybe contemplate about this is, yeah, this is, um, I think, the the fourth show we discussed where it's basically a sitcom tailored for a comedian, right? Talked about Seinfeld, talked about Home Improvement with Tim Allen, and then uh, The Nanny built around Fran Drescher. And so it's interesting to me when you start a show with the comedian and then you figure out a premise, I think you sort of get... Um, you're, you're prone to a situation where you start with something like a looser premise and maybe rely a bit on the comedian to just do his thing. That's, I think, totally what's happening with oh, the first yeah. episode of the Drew Carey show. And then if you're on for enough seasons, it does turn into more than just a comedian doing his thing. You, know, you actually have a story there, which the show does get eventually. But I, I just find that interesting. It's like, okay, like this is a vehicle for the lead actor who has been, you know, that that's like the ladder for comedians at the time, right? Like you work your way in clubs, maybe you'll Johnny appear, calls you over, right? You maybe you appear on like a late night show, right? To do like five minutes. And then hopefully with enough of enough attention, you get a pilot. Uh, so that definitely is like the route you carry went. And, you know, thankfully it did work out eventually, but uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think I might rediscover this show, though. You know, it's it's tough. I think if I was my age now and this show, I watched the show in 1995, you know, I'd be on the fence. I think maybe I'd catch some episodes here and there eventually. I wouldn't make uh, too big of an effort to catch it, right? Like, I wouldn't go out of my way. But uh, I'd like to think that I would catch it and it would grow on me. And, you know, by season four or five, I am, I may be, like, making it more of an appointment viewing. I don't know. Uh, I feel like I would have to wait until someone tells me like, oh yeah, I watched Drew Carey show. And then I'll, because I'll know when they tell me like, you got to be watching the Drew Carey yeah, show. It's good now. It's good. It's, yeah. it, no, but, and, but I'm always, uh, that would be enough uh, to see like where it, how it started off. But the pilot was just, uh, it really didn't do that much. It's not, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, what does my 30 year old TV watching brain think of now? It's just like, Oh, I, I, it didn't really do anything that set it apart from the rest. Right. Right. I, it's tough. It's tough to judge it by its own, you know, ha- having enjoyed so much of what I already know about it. Uh, so I, I have to try to set that aside, right? Like try to try to have amnesia about all the other episodes I have seen. It's tough to do that. I wish we could do that. Just like walk into an, like a like brief amnesia. That's what like brief amnesia. Just like for, I would like to forget what the Drew Carey show is, please. And then you just watch a pilot and you're like, well, you know, that's like, that's like, uh, I, I watched the first episode. This could be like a pilot alert, but I watched the first episode of severance on Apple TV. Have you seen that? 
I that's I love that show. That's kind it. of what we're talking about, right? Like we want to do Severance just, yeah. but just for first episodes of shows. So there's a version of us who that's just stuck watching first episodes of shows. Now that is an interesting <laughs> kind of hell because you're just constantly watching first episodes without a chance to really watch the rest of it and figure out what happens. I don't know if it's ironic or, but I, I would watch that show too. <laughs> that's a whole other level of dark. That's maybe they have Severance technology. But for like test audiences or something, I don't know. <laughs> like people always say like, oh, I would love to like you always like it when someone discovers something because they're how they're it's like, you know, when someone discovers Game of Thrones, it's like, oh, I can't wait to see what they get to the Red Wedding. Ooh. Mm. It's like, oh, I would love to just that feeling that you get when and we'll talk about how some shows that we've watched together, the feeling that we've gotten from them. But just that feeling of just it's like biting into a great apple or something like it's, it's so to, to discover something new for the first time is, is yeah. priceless, right? That's why we do what we do. That's why we watch TV in the first place. Yeah. And, the and you know, those moments, they're maybe um, a little too far and few between, but that also makes them so special, right? If, if you got exactly. those moments all the time, then, you know, that's, uh, they wouldn't be as memorable. Uh, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, there wasn't as many memorable things in the True Carrick show, but it would go on to have that. Uh so, you know, we only have one show left in this 90s sitcom genre that we've been doing. We're going to be moving on. And, uh, you know, there's, we'll also discuss maybe some of the ones we didn't get to, right? Uh, we, we already mentioned that we might do this again down the line. Part two. Oh, you know, we got to do a revisit. part two. That... But uh, for now, we're going to wrap up next week uh, the 90s sitcoms with uh, Will and Grace. So, uh That'll be the next one we watch. If you uh, have time to watch that first episode, go ahead and, uh, you know, maybe you'll see if you agree with our discussion on that next week. Find out. Until then, Keith, uh, see you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter at take us to the pilot that's take us to the pilot with the number two attention passengers we've now reached our destination we hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day